0: Through interviews with top professional, collegiate, and master's level runners, leading dietitians, coaches, sports psychologists, and runners of all shapes and sizes, we hope to spread the message that there is no one-size-fits-all approach to distance running. Now, let's get to the show. At SRC, we're passionate about connecting you to resources. One of those for us is the Victory Programme. The Victory Program at McCallum Place is in St. Louis, Missouri, and is the nation's first and only residential eating disorder treatment facility specifically designed for athletes. The Victory Program staff are caring experts committed to athletes' physical and psychological health. With a full continuum of treatment options for every stage of recovery, treatment uniquely addresses sport performance, individual athlete identity, and return to life and sport after treatment. To find out more about the Victory Program, visit www.thevictoryprogram.com or call them at 314 968 1900. Strong Runner Chicks, welcome back to another episode of SRC Radio. Today we have on Riley from the McCallum Place, Riley Nichols, correct? Um, And he is a PhD, MS in Sports Psychology. He's here with kind of on behalf of the McCallum Place, I would say, but he's also an expert in the field and uh, goes to speak at a lot of conferences regarding eating disorders. So um, we're really excited to have him here and ask him a couple questions that relate, you know, both to the McCallum Place Victory Program and to um, athletes in struggling with eating disorders in particular. So uh, thanks for being on, Riley. Super excited to have you on. Thanks for having me. Yeah. All right. So um, we'll kind of just get right into it. This is going to be a short little mini-sode, so we want to cover everything that we can just in terms of McCallum place. So um, first off, we wanted to know a little bit more about the specialized treatment. So um, a lot of what we talk about um, at Strong Runner Chicks is that riding the line between performance and uh, and other sort of factors when you're dealing with an eating disorder, and uh, McCallum Place states that we believe athletes need specialized approaches. So what does this specialized approach seem to look like for an athlete in particular um, in the Victory program?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I think um, kind of in a couple different ways. So the specialized approach is our um, providers kind of as part of our Victory team and staff. Um, that. Uh, we, we have providers with expertise um, and knowledge in working with athletes, so um, sports psychologists. Um, we have uh, uh, sport dieticians as well, uh, strength and conditioning coaches, uh, medical doctors who are uh, have a passion in working with athletes, and obviously an expertise in, in working with eating disorders. So our treatment team is kind of encompassed of, of those individuals, and then I think in addition to that, our programming for athletes in our care is Set up kind of uniquely tailored to them. It's just as athletes. Of course, they're, they're much more than, than being an athlete, um, but we, we do structure kind of, um, we have about 19 groups or so a week specifically for our athletes that um, are a bit nuanced and address some of the um, sometimes unique challenges that athletes uh, experience and face in, in, in the world of sport and relationship with sport um, mm-hmm. that maybe non athletes don't. So, our, our, our treatment, there is some overlap to a general eating disorder treatment, of course. But, but there are quite some distinct differences um, as well.
0: Absolutely, all right, thank you for the overview. Um, yeah. I should have asked this before, but we always kind of like to get into a little bit of background just on you personally and professionally, how did you get into this field? I noticed you were a, a running and triathlon coach.
1: Yeah, so I think just a, a quick overview, I played um, collegiate baseball, um, had a, a career-ending sh- shoulder injury that required surgery that catapulted me into sports psychology and um, kind of living that experience um, and dealing with kind of identity shift and transition out of sport really resonated with me. Um, wanted to help other athletes. Um, got my master's in sports psychology, really loved the performance piece and helping athletes in that capacity, but realized there was some limitations just with more clinical issues that come to be. Um, and Wanted to be able to kind of address those as well, so got more formal um, with the doctoral training, uh, with the clinical training, and in the midst of that, those rotations was four years of, of placements. Um, I did work two years at eating at an eating disorder clinic in New York City, and that just resonated with me. And I think in conjunction with those experiences, I, I have coached triathletes and runners for 15 years, and coached a running group in Central Park um, throughout grad school for six years, and still coach remotely mostly. Um, and so the intersection of working with athletes and those struggling with eating disorders was kind of the perfect cross-section of just my interests and and, and passion. And so I feel really fortunate um, to be able to do the work that I do. And um, I, I compete in endurance events in general, but I think I just have a passion in working with athletes in general. So it's a, I feel really fortunate.
0: Yeah, I think being an athlete yourself, you can definitely relate on a lot of ends, uh, especially in terms of that identity piece. Mm -hmm. Yeah, major. Um, So without going too deep into this, I know you covered this um, athletic identity in your interview at Opal, um, Opal Food and Body, which I'll link to in our show notes. Um, But what is it about, you know, athlete identity, um, if there's any key takeaways that you kind of learned from your research in the field um, that you would feel, you know, would, would best be to, you know, kind of share... Um, as takeaways?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think um try not to kind of oversimplify things, but being mindful of time, I, I would say that I think an athlete identity is a very healthy, um, important piece of ourselves that we kind of connect with and identify with. And I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that identity. And I think it can be a tremendous motivator, especially in treatment, too, that we try to bring in. Um, I think where there are some challenges with athletes just in general, that sometimes that can become a unidimensional sense of self or unidimensional identity, and where your value and worth is largely tied into if it's as an athlete, then what you can do and produce and times and um, the sport itself. And you can just imagine the inherent challenges that can come with that. If you know you're you're injured or there are performance slumps, uh, um, or you retire out of sport, and and if as your um, primary sense of identity that can be quite challenging when that is um, compromised. And so it's trying to um, uh, include that while also kind of um, expanding other parts of yourself too, uh, where that is not your only sense of self or the only way that you derive satisfaction um, or feeling accomplished um, in your in your sport essentially.
0: Absolutely. Uh, and with that, how do you balance sort of helping athletes find identity? Outside of sport, while also uh, maintaining that element of uh, addressing their own performance inside of sport, are there any key activities, questions you ask, or um, you know, ways in which you you help foster that with athletes you work with?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, there's not a simple answer to that. I think there are several things, and I think one is just getting an accurate assessment of just your sense of self and your identity in general, right and I think a really simple exercise that can be informative as a provider is to kind of allocate like a pie chart and having an honest assessment of like, how do I think about myself and see myself? And I, and what, what are parts of my identity? Right. And and you can see kind of parts of that pie that are allocated in different ways. Um, and then kind of take an honest assessment and say, What well, in the future, my, my future sense of self or my future identity, what would I like that to look like? And usually with most of the athletes that I work with, it's more expansive. So there's other things brought in and like, Oh yeah, I'm also a a volunteer. And, Mm -hmm. and so my, my faith is important to me or I um, you know, just kind of um, hold in kind of your mind's eye, other parts of yourself too. And so uh, we don't want to totally dismiss that, that athlete identity, but essentially elevating other parts of yourself that can just inherently be dismissed. I think you think about as an athlete and in sport, there's a tremendous amount of time, effort, and energy poured in to preparing yourself for training um, which is understandable, but that doesn't inherently have to just um, unidimensionally define you as well. It, it of course, can, um, and, and unfortunately does for some people, but it doesn't necessarily have to. So more, this is like what I do or how I spend my time, but not who I am. There's a big kind of distinction there.
0: Yeah, yeah, really how you're defined, and I smile because I have done this activity before, but never in a Pie chart sort of format. I really like that. It kind of puts yeah. things into perspective. So, yeah, yeah. awesome. Um, well, I I absolutely love that. Um, athlete identity is something you really study in further depth, and um, would encourage listeners to go check out that episode at Opal. Um, it sounds like that that goes into a bit more depth in terms of what your research is. Um, but I do want to touch on a couple other aspects of McCallum Place as well. Um, one being the, just the differences between uh, the different treatment options. So um, for someone that's not as familiar with, you know, eating disorder treatment, what are the main difference, differences between residential outpatient and partial hospitalization?
1: Yeah, um, so so we have different levels of care. The residential level of care is our our, our highest level of care. Um, and, and essentially, levels of care are determined by just um, how compromised an individual is, if that's medically, psychologically, um, or otherwise, um, as a result of, of their eating disorder. And so the um, the most important um, piece to eating disorder treatment is just being in the appropriate level of care. And unfortunately, that doesn't always happen. but there's just an, a, a lot of risk and danger when that is not had. And so um, our residential level of care is our highest level of care, and that provides a monitoring 24 hours a day. Um, so individuals in our care would, would sleep in our facility um, and, and have staff support you know, at night and overnight, um, nurses and, um, and staff, and then um, attend programming during the day. Um, and, um, and then our, our, next, our, our, our next lowest level of care or step-down level of care is our partial, we call it partial hospitalization. And that's essentially like day treatment. And um, we have a 10-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week PHP, or partial program, and then a six-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week program. So um, there's a little bit more autonomy for, for, for those individuals in that level of care and, and kind of opportunities to care for themselves uh, outside of the support and see how they're able to kind of navigate that and manage that. Um, and then it helps inform our treatment in terms of moving forward and stepping down levels of care further and um, there's an, we have an intensive outpatient level of care, which is still um, you know a lot of hours of a week about twenty hours a week of programming, but a lot less than the residential level of care um, or the partial uh, and then there of course is is outpatient too and that 's more um, once a week or twice a week with a provider dietitian or therapist or um, physician as well so um, the level of care, I think, is um, there, there are certain criteria just objectively, but also subjectively, too, as to what would warrant and meet um, a, a, a specific level of care.
0: Okay. Yeah, that, that helps it put it into perspective, I think. Um, is, is it common for athletes to kind of move through that spectrum, per se, to go from residential to you know, uh, transitioning into outpatient eventually?
1: Absolutely, yeah. Uh, most, probably I would say about 95% of our athletes that admit to our care start out at the residential level of care, and then they would step um, down um, to the partial um, hospitalization and then the an IOP. And, and actually, um, more than 80, 90% of our athletes come from um, outside of Missouri. We're located in St. Louis, Missouri. So, because we provide kind of really specialized um, care for athletes, I think that uh, attracts athletes struggling um, you know across the country as well and so there's value and i think an importance to um just being cognizant and mindful that people have of course lives going on but we're also too highly um dedicated and committed to really helping um individuals kind of move through this illness and uh regain autonomy and um independence in ways they totally deserve to have and sometimes it sounds counterintuitive to come to intensive treatment and that's like it proceeds at least in the moment sometimes is like a huge step back that's oftentimes not in anybody's life plans or anybody's bucket list to come to intensive treatment um but but usually it's just highly needed and it actually um expedites just the healing process much much quicker than flailing kind of on your own or in a lower level of care that's not um appropriate
0: yeah yeah absolutely i would think that um you know, residential care could seem uh, like I've had friends who've gone through this, and they said it was it was kind of hard to come to terms with. So mm-hmm. I'm wondering if you have any, like you had said, kind of like um, advice that you would give someone, or sort of uh, how to know if that's the right decision for them.
1: Um, unfortunately, the the illness of of an eating disorder kind of renders individuals um, uh, to to lack the urgency that is really just needed to address and. Um, rebuild and um, you know just address their health mm-hmm. and so we have rarely if ever had people kind of banging down our door saying I need treatment right this second usually it's loved ones or coaches or sports personnel that are really facilitating the admission to a higher level of care and so I think part of it is just normalizing just the reality usually there's this notion that I uh, I'm not sick enough or, or this seems a bit you know overreactive and um, that's okay I, th- I think for me to try to Convince someone otherwise is a tall task, so I think just validating—that's—that's that's normal. But I do think during the healing process and during treatment, I think a lot of athletes in our care are able to reflect on kind of the place that they have been in for a while, or that when they admitted to treatment and recognize, "Wow, I really needed this a long time ago." Um, yeah. Times there's this desire. I wish a coach. Or I wish a teammate. I wish a friend or family member would have said something earlier. Um, and, and we get that sentiment a lot. And, and usually it's you know after someone's been in treatment for a while. Um, uh, but, but I think this illness, it really is, is quite dangerous. And you think of for athletes too, who are struggling in this capacity, um, most athletes I see are highly, highly driven, very intelligent, extremely motivated, but also too quite critical um, and punitive towards themselves. Um, and that's kind of that perfectionism really suits athletes quite well in a in context of sport and in life and, in, and academically and professionally, but it also too, um, sometimes too kind of sets the stage for, for an eating disorder to, to really uh, develop and intensify too. So um, yeah. there are some inherent challenges with that reality too.
0: Absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm just going to kind of touch on this. Uh, one last point is uh, you know, the McCallum place states, uh, in in terms of the victory program that the athlete's performance in treatment is not avoided or forgotten rather it is interwoven into eating disorder treatment. Um, I know this can be kind of a controversial topic at least from what I've gathered in terms of you know um, different uh, different philosophies on how to handle eating disorders and balance those or sort of navigate the world of eating disorders and athletes so uh, how do you personally and professionally believe that the athletes performance can be interwoven and how does this look in the victory program?
1: Yeah, that's a fantastic question. And I think um, something that we have seen in the trenches and kind of firsthand here really um, come to light and see the benefits of doing so. So I think kind of twofold. One is in terms of an athlete's performance and being a sports psychologist, I'm a bit biased just in terms of a psychological element and aspect of, of sport performance. And so that is addressed. Um, in groups we have two sports psychology groups a week and then individual sessions as well address kind of the psychological skills um, in developing those I think any athlete who's been injured it's unfortunate maybe not able to physically train and and prepare in ways that they would like but I think it's a opportune time to develop and foster um, skills that are really important for athletic performance so that is addressed in addition to kind of more didactic uh, sports nutrition groups and our sport dietitians come in just with that knowledge and, and how to obviously fuel appropriately for a sport, but also too, we have two strength and conditioning coaches on staff with us, which is very unique for an intensive treatment program. And we do integrate movement, um, exercise and training as soon as it clinically and medically makes sense. Um, and historically, any sort of treatment has taken largely an abstinence-based approach for any type of movement, regardless of how an individual is doing. And I think that is such a missed opportunity um because everyone kind of collectively crosses their fingers and says, "Well, good luck with training and outpatient you know and i and I think yeah. there's opportunity and in intensive treatment to provide a high level of support while you're kind of re engaging um, with training or with your sport um, and 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 our 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 philosophy is that can be done in a different manner in a more wholesome manner um, if done really methodically and deliberately and intentionally by the treatment provider so we we have the staff with the knowledge and skill set and sensitivity to, to do that. And and um, it really, especially for athletes who have a desire to go back to sport um, post-treatment, I think it's a great opportunity and just really needed too to inform um, just treatment in general. So,
0: yeah. So, um, thank you again for, for being on and really uh, diving deep or, you know, giving us a bit of the I don't know if diving deep is the right word. We could probably go on and on, but uh, giving us an overview of the McCallum place and, and the work that you're doing, it's so important. Um, as we wrap up here, typically we'll ask sort of questions of like, looking back, what advice would you give to yourself? Do you mm-hmm. either have any personally or advice that you would give to um, someone who's currently struggling with an eating disorder and, and not quite in treatment yet?
1: Yeah. Um, I think kind of, so I I think kind of twofold, I think one advice that I would give for someone struggling is that sometimes it can, you know, there can be a lot of shame and embarrassment when you're struggling in various capacities, I think, especially for individuals who are quite proficient and high achieving. Um, And I think this illness is really not a reflection of you as a person of you being incompetent and incapable to execute and do things that you inherently just know you need to do to care for yourself. So it's much more reflection of the severity and the pervasiveness of the illness of an eating disorder as opposed to you as a person, right? And I think it's important just to realize that that reality. Um, And secondly, if you know someone or are friends with someone or are teammates with someone struggling, I I just really charge you with um, just saying something privately to them and expressing concern from a place of of love. Um, because I'm struck by the number of people who come to our care who are quite compromised and and no one said anything. Um, And I know people are aware and know, but they just want to not overstep or or say the wrong thing. But I I think that communicates either that you don't care about what is happening, um, or it's not of concern, or you don't care about them as a person, which silence communicates a lot. But and of course, that's not the case. And so for those people, maybe in your life who you have been concerned with, I just I think it's so important to just Um, address it and and talk to them about your concerns um, so they can get help and and resources and we're happy to be a resource too, to kind of point and direct people to to care
0: definitely Um, and as we wrap up here is there anything uh, or anywhere that uh, listeners can go to to learn more about the mccallum place and uh, what you offer
1: um, yeah they can they can certainly go to our our website we 're updating that with with additional resources um that's the um They can certainly call and chat with me specifically um I'm happy to kind of uh, uh try to provide resource or connect people with treatment providers across the country. We have good relationships um there so um more than anything resource resources and help are are available, so um happy to be one if you be
0: certainly. All right. Well, thank you again, Riley, for for being on our uh, Strong Runner Chick radio episode. We really appreciate it, and uh, we look forward to sharing this with our listeners. Thanks for listening to the Strong Runner Chicks radio. Do us a favor and leave a review in iTunes to help spread awareness and foster the SRC community. Additionally, make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Strong Run Chicks.